Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it is Friday, April 7th. I had to look at the date. I've lost track of time. Uh, the mayoral election uh, has come to a close, but everything was just like packed together at the end, and I lost sense of any days, and then I went without sleep, ladies and gentlemen, for like three days because I'm insane. I need help. I know I need help. All right. You don't have to tell me I need help. I know I need help. I mean, we live in this huge giant world and the Chicago mayoral election took on so much importance to me. And I'm like, it's really not that important in the total scheme of things in the entire universe. Why are you allowing it to control your life the way you are? But then again, if you just substitute Chicago mayoral election for Chicago bulls, you could ask that same question to me. Okay. (laughs) So either way, mayoral election of Chicago Bulls, I need help. By the way, the mayoral election um, worked out a lot better than things have been working out for beloved Bulls over the last two day, few days. We're not going to discuss my beloved Bulls right now. Um, as I always do before I bring on my distinguished guests, I'll tell you a little about what the headline, what's in the news today. Uh, and, of course, um, <laughs> uh, there's two stories breaking right now. Um, in the news today that uh, I just want to comment on. I've got a, f- a funny feeling uh, my distinguished guests and I uh, will converse about them. One is a breaking story right now, and I will read uh, the headline in the New York Times uh, coming over my phone. And I'm going to read this headline uh, without laughing. I'm going to really try not to laugh. I'm going to read it straight like I was on WBZ or NPR, just the news, man. Uh Justice Thomas says he was advised lavish gifts. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Justice Thomas says he was advised lavish gifts didn't need to be reported. In a statement released by Supreme Court, the justice said he'd been following past guidance from others and believed he was not required to report the trips. Who are you taking advice from? Bernie Madoff? <laughs> I'll tell you what, 
I, I, please tell me who your, your advisors are, uh, Chief Justice, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, because I know I want to make sure I don't hire them to help me with my tax preparation. Oh, you don't have to report this. Forget about reporting that. All right. You don't need to do that. Yeah. You don't have to. <laughs> anyway, of course, um, turns out that Clarence Thomas has been taking trips from a really rich friend of his, uh, Harlan Crow. Love that name, Harlan Crow, uh, of the Trammell Crow real estate fortune. Uh, and they've been flying in, uh, Justice Thomas and his wife all over the place, uh, putting them up at their fancy resorts. Uh, there's no quid pro quo, of course. It's just doing it because he loves him. And the other news uh, in the world uh, that his story is still blows my mind. Uh, it's breaking at the same time. I'll probably discuss it with my distinguished guests as well. The expulsion. Expulsion. I mean, as in kicking out, expelled from uh, the Tennessee uh, State State House, uh, two Democrats uh, who dared to raise a ruckus on the floor uh, on behalf of doing something about gun violence. So they've been kicked out of the State House. Wow. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and we'll talk about these and many, many more topics. Distinguished guest. Hey, this is State Senator Robert Peters, and as always, I'm excited to be on the Ben Jarofsky Show and uh, try not to make a fool of myself. <laughs> you know what, uh, <laughs> Robert? That's good advice, not just for the Ben Jarofsky Show, but for life in general. Uh, don't make a fool of yourself. Yeah, uh, you never make a fool of yourself. You're one of my uh, favorite guests. You always got something interesting to say, and it's just been way too long since you've been here. All right, uh, I've been obsessed, as you have, I know, with uh, Chicago mayoral uh, politics. So I'll start with that, even though I really want to come back to Clarence Thomas and what's going down in Tennessee. Uh, but let's start with Chicago politics. So, folks, if you're just sick and tired of Chicago politics. Fast forward. I never uh, give uh, uh, listeners this option, but you can just fast forward and get to the stuff where we talk about Tennessee and uh, the rather dubious advice uh, that Clarence Thomas has been following in regards to record keeping. Um Brandon Johnson, of course, defeated Paul Vallis. Robert Peters uh, was very much a strong supporter of Brandon Johnson. Uh, and not only was Paul Vallis defeated, uh, Robert, but my humble opinion, um, once again, uh, the Republican strategy, and let's face it, Paul Vallis was following a Republican strategy of, uh, running on crime, 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 crime has lost. It's the third, as I said to you uh, before being on the air, the third significant election, uh, in the last mm, three years in which this has been the case, 2020, Kim Fox was defeated, uh, was victorious, was not defeated, uh, even though Republicans were going crime, crime, crime. Governor Pritzker uh, was not defeated uh, in 2022, uh, he, even though he supported uh, your uh, criminal justice reform measures. Uh, and now um, Brandon Johnson was victorious. So tie it all together. Give me your thoughts on all this. I mean, the way I put this is, um, I first start off and say the reason why People on the right uh, tend to latch on to crime as a go-to political cudgel um, is because they have nothing to offer on housing. They have nothing to offer in terms of health care. 
They have nothing to offer in terms of good jobs. They really don't have a lot to offer. So they tend to move to things that are more of the quote unquote culture war things, which is how they try to describe everybody else, but really is what they're doing. And then on top of that, crime is sometimes a stand in for reinforcing segregation. Uh, you know, crime for thee, not for me situation. And honestly, from I think it's important to remember most voters don't necessarily feel crime, right? Most voters who Republicans tend to target aren't feeling crime. So suburban voters, they'll be, you know, they care more about maybe some economic issues, making sure their kids can go to a good school or childcare, um, you know, sort of the upward mobility type of things. And then in the city of Chicago, there, you know, crime was a dominant narrative. Uh, but the people who are most impacted by violent crime are technically Brandon's strongest voters, right? And that's particularly black voters who have the greatest, uh, you know, greatest concern about whether they're going to be safe walking down the street or not. And then those who are might be concerned about crime, but don't necessarily actually interact with it so much. It, they very clearly were saying they care more about things like abortion. They care more think, about things like uh, public transportation. They care more about the other investments that need to happen. Uh, and I think that's the same way with, honestly, those are actually the same concerns that people have who care more about, um, who experience more violent crime. The difference is they see it as a public safety policy where maybe other areas don't see it as much of a public safety policy. So, for example, if you're working class and black and you live on the south and west sides of Chicago, you care about all these other issues, but that's how you view public safety. That's a sort of reimagining public safety. These are things you've been demanded, right? The idea is we go back to Dr. King, right? You know, we, we think about the idea of the poor people's campaign. These have existed for decades. What's interesting about Brandon Johnson is that it's almost like a very much a brand new experience to have a mayor like this uh, in Chicago. We haven't had one like this in Terrell Washington. But what's also interesting is that what he's proposing are not brand new ideas. These have been things that, again, Dr. King, you know, before his assassination was staking his claim on during the poor people's campaign. Uh, I'm glad you uh, brought up uh, Dr. King. Uh, Brandon uh, Johnson mentioned Dr. King uh, in uh, his victory remarks on Tuesday. Uh, that was the anniversary of King's assassination. Dr. King came to Chicago in 1966 with a campaign to end poverty. Robert, that was his goal. I mean, just just think about that for a moment. Like, that's a pretty grandiose goal. Very worthwhile, I might add. Uh, Dr. King was bringing a campaign to Chicago, was using Chicago uh, as sort of the backdrop to confront inequities that were larger than just racial inequities. He had been fighting for civil rights in the South. You know this. I know I know you all this you know this history. I'm just doing this as a backdrop. Uh, and he was met with fierce resistance by the powers that be in the city of Chicago. Uh, Mayor Richard J. Daly, daddy of Mayor Richard M. Daly, uh, uh, and uh, many of the um, the aldermen, including many of the black aldermen uh, in the city council at the time. Just think about that, folks. Pause and let's think about that. Martin Luther King came to Chicago and uh, the black elected officials uh, sided with Daly over Martin Luther King. Let's just pause and absorb that and then move on with our conversation. Uh, I've been watching mayors ever since uh, have Martin Luther King Day breakfasts. 
always a Martin Luther King Day breakfast. Uh, everybody holds hands uh, and reflects about how much they love Martin Luther King when, in fact, when he was alive, they detested the man and did everything they could to impede his progress and make his life miserable. When he was assassinated, he was polling under 20%. No, politi- no political strategist would ever have someone stand next to someone who polled that badly. And, you know, the way I put this is I think we are entering a period where symbolic gestures are they're going away. Um, you know, you think about it, the way Paul Vallis viewed his black support was imagery. He wanted to make it. It wasn't that he actually cared about uplifting the black community uh, or even the Latino community or even to be honest with you, if you are a young professional parent. He didn't care. I mean, he was someone who said that every school should be school choice, right? He didn't care about your kid, Um, but he cared a lot about symbolism. And I think that when we look at this election is that Brandon Johnson said, oh, no, symbolism is not enough, that uh, we have to fulfill a promise for people. Uh, You know, Brandon liked to use the language of a guarantee that Chicagoans deserve a guarantee. Um, and that no matter where you live, you deserve that guarantee. And that's a guarantee of a good house, a guarantee of a good school, a guarantee of a grocery store. These are things that you saw from Brandon was a sort of the debate was public safety as a guarantee in the well-being of who you are, your kids and your community or under, you know, basically uh, Paul Vallis, public safety is to be used as a blue wall to keep you out of certain parts of the town uh, and will represent Maybe not a physical bar- barrier, uh, but at least a form of a barrier that says that you can't go into X, Y, and area and cause X, Y, and Z trouble. Um, that does nothing to keep the people who live in a community with high violence safe, um, but it does say to certain people in certain places, you don't need to worry about the riffraff. Again, not really focus on public safety, really focus on reinforcing a form of segregation that has been rejected by the you know voters of the city of Chicago. On top of that, I, w- I will point out what's interesting here is that Brandon Johnson is the first uh, non-daily associated elected since Harold Washington. Um, and I think it's it's important to note that Lori Lightfoot worked in the daily uh, administration. We already know um, Rahm Emanuel was the fundraising and finance chief for daily to get his career start. Uh, I mean, this will be a truly like a, a, a turn um, that I think is going to be great for the city, and I think truly is a is a next step in terms of independence. And what that means is that there's going to be a huge fight. I mean, there are aldermen today who are already uh, suspiciously caring about an independent city council uh, when they did not care about such a thing in the past. Um, and I think that when you start getting worried about uh, change happening and you might not have preference for your committee chairs because you made bad decisions in your life. Uh, you now all of a sudden conveniently become a true barometer of independent progressive leadership. Uh, and I think that's just, it's an unfair thing to do to Brandon Johnson, who's by the way, if you haven't noticed in the last few days, has made it clear that he will meet and talk with anybody. Uh, he'll stand strong on his principles, but he's not going to not keep the door open. Yeah, no, I uh, I smiled. We're not going to take the deep dive into the uh, city council at this moment. We'll be doing that plenty of times in this show. We obsessively follow the Chicago City Council, much uh, to the, my delight. I love their antics. But, yes, I have been noticing the cries of it, <laughs> independence. Uh, 
love to get your response to, uh, to this uh, counterpunch that I've noticed in the last couple of days since Brandon Johnson was victorious uh, from the centrists of Chicago. And there's a lot of centrists in this, a little bit right down there in the middle of that street. Um, and uh, the centrists of Chicago point out that Brandon Johnson uh, won with approximately, I don't know, 51 point something percent of the vote. I don't know exactly what the exact margin is. Uh, but it uh, is not an overwhelming uh, majority. It is a majority, though. Uh, and um, as such, uh, he should already start compromising and breaking the promises he made uh, to the people who voted for him. The cynicism of Chicago centrist uh, knows no bounds, in my humble opinion. Uh, and so essentially he should immediately start reassuring the people who didn't vote for him that he's uh, looking out for them by telling the people who did vote for him that he is going to break his promises to them. Wow. That's the advice he's getting from centrists, uh, including, if you don't believe me, check out some of the editorials in the downtown newspapers and you could see the evidence yourself, Robert Peters, in your humble opinion, as... I don't want to call you a lefty. That's what I call myself, but a person of the leftist persuasion from a liberal high park. Uh, do you agree with that centrist viewpoint that Brandon Johnson should immediately start breaking his promises uh, to his supporters? Go ahead. No, I mean, I don't think Brandon, Brandon ran again on this promise of a guarantee. I think I find it rich and a shining example of a double standard that you, we saw not in just a mayor's race, but in the NCAA Women's College Basketball Championship, where people, for some weird reason, believe that all of a sudden, even though they've lost, that their genius should be accepted um, and not critiqued. I would say... Um, Brandon won. He won on a particular promise. He has always seemed to be open to modifying or editing things that he's planned to make them work, but he has not moved away from pushing forward on the sort of transformative, transformative ideas he wants to do. And I, I say that because when he, uh, I, people forget early on, he proposed a metro tax. And after talking to people, he said, you know what? I'm going to listen to you. I'm, you know, the buck stops with me. I'm going to, I'm going to make an adjustment. I will not do the metro tax after talking to people. That's something that's very fair that he'll do. That does not mean that he's going to completely abandon his principles and his beliefs. But I also think it's very patronizing uh, to hear people who, to be honest with you, pushed policy failure after policy failure, telling this young West side mayor, how he should govern. Um, and yet they would never listen ever to any of us about what we think should happen. I mean, to give you an idea, you started this whole conversation off with tough on crime has been a failure for Republicans. And let me point this out. We should even point out if you're a Democrat who engaged in it, you engage in a Republican talking point that needs to be made clear. It's a Republican playbook. And it has failed. And some of us have been saying, hey, it fails. Are those people going to denounce their failed strategy that has bankrupted much of the city, has destroyed neighborhoods, uh, has failed to keep people safe? If they are willing to do that, I think that's 
that's fair to come to the table and say we were wrong and we're willing to be open to that. Um, but I don't think that's what's happening here. They're saying they're right. All We're right. Well, you're not. And the voters did not agree with you. And in fact, I'll point out, they lost the 44th ward. Let's just talk about all the wards. You know, the black wards, some Latino wards, some you know, sort of farther north lakefront wards. But I don't think anybody ever thought that they would lose the 44th ward. And so a lot of these people, particularly a former alderman, bombed in the 44th ward. And I think that they should focus on cinnamon rolls, <laughs> not policy. Ah, uh, Lori, uh, uh, Robert Peters, uh, alluded to the trash talking that went on in the, the women's championship, uh, played last week, uh, for, uh, uh, was it LSU versus Iowa? Uh, and then he engaged in a little trash talking of his own, uh, the alderman, uh, that he was alluding to, of course, uh, Tom Tunney, a longtime alderman of the 44th Ward, restaurateur. Uh, who uh, specializes in cinnamon rolls, uh, has moved to the far right, in my humble opinion, uh, and uh, joined the Vallis uh, team and argued, somehow with a straight face, uh, that Lori Lightfoot lost because she neglected the north side in the loop Let's, to the benefit. I have so many thoughts about this. One that Lori Lightfoot was very friendly to downtown. She might not have been uh, she was not necessarily a pandering in personality, but she definitely was friendly. And I, I say that to mean she lifted the bridges physically using a body of water and infrastructure to create a wall, a physical wall that cut off parts of the city. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, beat down on the current and soon to be former administration too much. But I think it's something to be said that she did that to protect a part of the city. And even after doing that, those people abandoned her immediately at the first sign that they could, they abandoned her. Lori should have had those people locked up. And so the, I mean, I think people want to tell themselves that they're good people. Ugh, I'm not racist. I've got a black friend. I'm not this. I'm not that. I always say I, I like talking to Republicans in the Senate, in the House, and, and Republicans in Springfield. Because for many of them, they're like, this is what I believe. I don't care. Like, I, I hold these politics. It's the people who want to feel good while doing bad that are difficult. I wish Tom Tunney would just say, yeah, what I did and said was racist and terrible. It's what I believe because you know what? I'd have an easier time talking to him. But when you live in a delusion, you can't negotiate with that. That's impossible to negotiate. That's not a fair negotiator. And I, you know, I, I think it's just, it was, it's insulting. It's insulting. It's insulting to the current mayor. Like we have to say that. I mean, I'm frustrated that she didn't see that. That's always been my biggest frustration is that she believed that 
people were going to accept her when that was clearly not going to happen and didn't happen, truly did not happen. And I wish that she understood that. And that with this, with a new administration coming in, that there are people who are like, I'm not bad. I'm a good person. I just hold these beliefs and I refuse to admit that I'm wrong. Like I can't, I have to admit when I'm wrong. Brandon's being told he has to admit when he's wrong. Everybody's being told they have to admit they're wrong. Just if you admit that you're wrong, we can go from there. If you can say, yeah, I'm wrong. I guess I'm wrong. Okay, we move on. That's not what's happening. And it's just, it's, it's not going to help the city. These people don't care about making the city better. They care about themselves. And it's very upsetting. And in fact, it doesn't do anything for their own constituents. A divided city is a terrible thing for everybody. The anxiety of being in a segregated city and you are in the place of, you know, privilege, you know, you can actually make an argument that that is actually an unhealthy position to be in. Constantly looking over your shoulder about what you have, you know, looking at your citizen app and watching your, you know, doorbell camera, worried about what's going to come around the corner next. And that creates such a level of paranoia that is unhealthy for the resident to live in. And the same thing could be true for sure for the people who are experiencing segregation from the disinvestment end, because you can't even walk down the street. And if you did, the grocery store you were going to go to could close that day. So, I mean, there's nothing healthy about having these two cities and the people who are defending it are actually just defending their own positions of power, not even their own constituents' positions of power. It benefits them. It does not benefit the person who just so happens to have a relatively nice house but has to spend their life over and over, over and over again, paranoid that they're going to lose it. I mean, that's just a terrible place to be in. I mean, it's you would think that people who care about education so much would read Alexis de Tocqueville, but clearly uh, they have not because he made it very clear that this is a well-known American thing that happens between those who have stuff, those who don't, and those who are stuck in the middle, paranoid about their position. Um, Alexis de Tocqueville is uh, is not some leftist who's roaming the earth. He was quite, you know, a, a, a bougie person who visited America. And yet we're living in, in Chicago in a very shiny example of a de Tocqueville story or Charles Dickens story uh, that I think is its own 21st century model of. That was a great riff, Robert Peters. And somehow we went from uh, Caitlin Clark and, and uh, Angel Reese uh, to to Tocqueville, only on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, by the way, just a brief moment of uh, self-promotion to uh, uh, dropping on Sunday. Fantastic, if I must say so myself, uh, conversation with DeFron Smart, one of the greatest basketball players ever came out of the city of Chicago. She's a regular on the show, and we just uh, dissect uh, the uh, whole Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese uh, showdown. So I urge and everybody, absolutely everybody, if you're even vaguely interested uh, in race relations, women's sports, basketball, uh, to check out with DeFron's uh, has to say she's an uh, outstanding job in my humble opinion all right um before i leave chicago and go to uh well i guess we could see you, i'll let you choose clarence thomas or tennessee first uh, i guess nah, i'll choose for you clarence thomas um i just have to say that you know i shouldn't get my news from uh social media but you had an instagram post i assume you're millennial you do your own instagram it was really well done in my humble opinion um it 
and you quoted, uh, I think it was Chip Mitchell from WBEZ, if I'm getting it correctly, I want to get the right um, credit, credit uh, talking about crime. And so I'm not, I'll, you take it away, Robert, explain what you did in that post, the message in that post, uh, and uh, what we can learn from it. Go ahead. You know, um, so Chip Mitchell talked about how crime was down in a variety of areas from carjackings uh, to murders. Uh, and, you know, crime is often cyclical. There's a whole bunch of factors that exist uh, that cause crime spikes. We've seen similar crime spikes in 2011, 2016. Of course, nobody talks about it. And then after this election, it's amazing how many people who weren't nuanced about crime became very nuanced about crime when Brandon Johnson surprised so many people. Um, but I think the main part is if we use the logic of the tough on crime people around crime, well, if crime is down, then they should all be praising the Safety Act. Uh, I mean, look what we've done with the Safety Act. They should be so thankful for Tim Evans's court and the work that Tim Evans' court doing. In fact, that means if crime is down in areas that I heard was so bad, I mean, they should be praising Kim Fox, right? They should be where these people using their logic with crime being down should be praising all these things we've done. Um, and saying thank you so much uh, to the Black Caucus and uh, to Tim Evans and to Lori Lightfoot. We should, they should be praising. Lori's gotten crime down. Crazy. Um, but using their logic that may, that all these things cause crime, well, then don't they also then, uh, and what's, what's happened, have brought crime down? And I think it just goes to show, like, these people don't know anything about public safety. They don't know jack shit. My favorite thing is that I would have loved to have debated Paul Vallis on public safety. I mean, I, I think that because he might have said some things uh, behind closed doors about how he was going to undermine the Safety Act. And I am so excited to have a mayor who stood by the Safety Act from the very beginning, who stood by ending cash bail from the very beginning who understands the root causes in terms of uh, public safety issues and understands what needs to happen instead of having some fake wonk who's failed everywhere he's gone, uh, who, because he looks like he might be smart, uh, gets a pass to talk about things he does not understand. Um, and I hope he understands that he's not Bye. We don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> um, go back to Pillow's Heights. Um, and get out of town, go to another town and go ruin their budget like you did so many others. And don't talk about the Safety Act ever again. Keep, in fact, any candidate who wants to run, this is from me. If you want to bring up the Safety Act, I'm, I'm, I'm just, if you, if you ever watch The Last Dance, I'm going to take it personally. So um, keep it out of your mouth um, because you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the issues. You're speaking like somebody's, you know, weird Facebook group guy who's like commenting on too many posts at the Mountain Green, make Mountain Green look great again. And just, yeah, I mean, it's very frustrating. And so, yeah, crime is, crime has gone down. And in fact, we put, we, you know, we did a $250 million investment in violence prevention. So maybe they should all praise the violence prevention work we're doing at the state of Illinois uh, and in Cook County and at the city of Chicago. I mean, all these people are full of it. They don't know what they're talking about. And, uh, it's upsetting, but it's, and it's embarrassing. 
And I hate that they get the benefit of the doubt uh, from so many people uh, in terms of, especially the media. It's just, it's very frustrating. Um, they should not get the benefit of the doubt. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, and if anybody needs any fact checking, there's many of us who can do that for you. I mean, literally for years, for years, people in movement spaces, policy people in movement spaces says the communities most impacted by violence, violent crime do not want tough on crime policies or tough on crime politicians. And then Brandon Johnson wins and you see everybody go, can you believe? I don't know if you've seen this. People who live in violent areas don't want tough on crime. What's wrong with them? Or the other one that's my favorite is the people who are more likely to experience charter schools are less likely to support a charter school politician. And the people who are less likely to send their kids to charter schools are more likely to support a charter school politician. Well, maybe we should give them charter schools. Do you think that they want that? No. no. <laughs> uh, I could tell you there was a revolt uh, on the north side of Chicago uh, during the end of Rahm's years in office that we effectively sent a message. We don't want charter schools in our community. Jan Schakowsky, uh, came out against a charter school, Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, and that pretty much ended that. Uh, and so the only charter schools you see uh, happening in the city of Chicago are, are in uh, black neighborhoods on the south side or Hispanic neighborhoods on the west side, excuse me, and south side. And oh, Hispanic and, and about a lot of this is so many of these, these folks who do this then come asking for government money. I mean, oh, I can talk about this, whether it's the Bears or it's certain people in the charter industry. If you want to take this on and then you're going to bemoan government, then don't come looking for the government dime. Like, that's just ridiculous. I'm going to fund an education to make sure kids get a good school. But you must admit that you just can't actually do it. Um, because, I, again, I'm going to use the McCaskies as a great example of this with the Bears. We're hitting on the Bears now. Look at it. But the, it's a really shining example of this. The McCaskies and Virginia McCaskey particularly go, they, they support these hard right anti-welfare politicians. And then all of a sudden they want to move to the suburbs and leave Soldier Field where they took a bunch of money to redo Soldier Field, a redo that they did. We didn't do it. That was their design. They picked it. So, they want to leave that and they want to move to Arlington Heights, but they want, they only want to do things get some money. Ugh. A government handout for the rich bears owners. You know, meanwhile, I have people who just, we have a huge Medicaid cliff that we're looking at and that's going to require so much funding and support. And if they take, if you are, if you're on Medicaid, the McCaskies will find you disgusting. So the bears owners hate their own fans they don't want them to have any money. And then they want to turn around and be like, oh, you know, we have literally never worked a day in our life. We inherited a legendary football team that we have done a terrible, a terrible job managing. And what we need from you is either we need direct money or we need a property tax scheme. 
or we could do a TIF. I mean, give us something in terms of government money. Um, And this isn't really handouts. It's really, you really, you know, we call it, we call it economic development. It's economic development. Now, if you're working class and you need like a child tax credit, that's not economic development. Economic development only exists if you, if you are able to fly business class. It does not exist if you're an economy. Okay. Economic development is, is a, is a perfect code term for the McCaskies are economic development and my working class constituents is welfare. But you know what? What I like about Brandon Johnson is maybe we'll have a new opportunity with Brandon and with Governor Pritzker. I mean, like we're going to have a new, a new, it's a new approach. Economic development is working class people being able to buy diapers. That's crazy. So I'm done ranting. Uh, you know, I think that, yeah. So (laughs) listening to you, I thought, wait, this sounds like a column I'm about to write or something. Uh, that was like, you read my mind. Uh, what a terrible thing it is up there. Uh, all right, uh, let's move on uh, from Chicago. There's so many things you said that I could follow up on, including the Bears. I could just go on a whole thing about the Bears. I will say this. One of the things I just have to say, I watched all the candidates uh, from the start, Robert. I was paying attention at the start, okay? I don't know if you kicked in at the end uh, just when it, when it was Valles versus Johnson, but I was watching them. So I got to watch all the Bears, uh, all the Bears, all the candidates answer the Bears question. And I just love how, like, like there's this diplomatic way of you're supposed to address these things, you know, when you're running for Mayor of City of Chicago and everybody's listening. And so you're like, you're not just addressing, like, if you're lefty, your you're lefty listeners or your followers, but you're also addressing the editorial board of Crane Chicago Business. And so they always talk about how important is the city of Chicago that the Bears stay here and, and how they want to work with the Bears to get the Bears. I'm like, would you stop pandering to the Chicago freaking Bears? They suck. They've been terrible. They're one of the worst football teams ever. Just say it. You get more votes if you just say it. And don't worry about the Crane Chicago editorial board. Just say this team sucks. They don't deserve a nickel. I believe in meritocracy. Do it on your own. Sorry. No, I, no, I, I, this is my point. So I'm a diehard Bears fan. I remember. Oh, like, oh, there's a cry for help. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I remember <laughs> uh, I was very young and I made a bet with a neighbor's dad that they would go eight and eight and they went four and twelve. <laughs> it was a twenty dollar bet I could not afford. I cried because they were four and twelve, and I cried uh, that I lost a bet that he uses to teach a lesson. He's like, "Don't make a bet you can't," you know, like that kind of thing. And you know, I had to be like what, maybe eleven, twelve. I was very young, you know, not knowing what I was doing, being foolish. Maybe I, yeah, I had to be pretty young. So I uh, been a diehard Bears fan my entire life, uh, and so my statement on this has been. A soldier fields in the district. It's an important economic driver. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not going to tell the team that they have to do X, Y, and Z. What I am going to say is don't come asking for gazillions of dollars. And don't come to me when you're, you're literally, it's, there's a lot of people who work at soldier field. There's a lot of businesses that, you know, have, fans who get drunk or they park in the area and then don't we are stuck with debt on soldier field still we still have to pay off soldier field when they leave 
So you're not going to saddle us with debt. Then you're going to ask for more money. Like it's just an unfair thing. But if you want to leave, spend your own money and leave. But I'm not going to, I'm not here to be like, oh, you know, like I'm going to force you to stay. Like, just don't think you're going to get a dime. That's not how it works. I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Uh, and then we really have to move on because I'm dying to hear your thoughts and Clarence Thomas, but I'm going to push back. I don't believe it's that important of an economic driver. In fact, I the Bears only play eight games a year. So I don't know if you're taking, if you're like, if you're really, you're a real wonk as opposed to a, a fake wonk. If you're a real analytics guy as opposed to fake analytics guy, if you're going to take a deep dive, and you're going to look at numbers the way a geeks look at like uh, three point shooting percentages in the NBA. Like you're really going to be serious about it. Take a look. How much money does Soldier Field bring to the city of Chicago in terms of the people who work there? Do they even live in the city of Chicago? If you work at Soldier Field, do you have to live in the city of Chicago? I will start off with a barroom bet with you that right now a better investment on public dollars is to build 10 libraries throughout the city of Chicago and make the people who work there live in the city of Chicago, pay them a decent wage so they have enough money to spend their money in the city of Chicago. I could make an argument that books over football would be a better bang for your buck, but Robert, no one ever makes. No one ever takes that deep dive. No one ever does the analytics. It's all inside deals. They get PR flax to feed you bullshit and get you to repeat talking points that nobody has ever analyzed well, to see if they're true. Let me, Go ahead. Let me add say this. There is a benefit civically in entertainment. And so let's just right, and Soldier Field seats sixty to seventy thousand people if you include the field. If there's a concert you know, even in the cheap seats, like there is a benefit. And even if you're working class, the one show that you're going to spend money on, maybe you go see the stones or, you know, like, like that might be like a thing that people will do. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't want to discount on in terms of civic life, having entertainment. And there's an important thing here is it's not just about the bears. The bears want money to open up a new stadium, a fancy new stadium. And it will become a competitive venue for a whole host of things that normally go to Soldier Field. You know, if Beyonce is coming to town, does she, in a new Bears stadium, go to Arlington Heights or does she go to downtown? Right? Does, you know, I, you know, I, I, Taylor Swift, I think, is maybe a downtown person, but does she, you know what I mean? Like, do people go to a dome in Arlington Heights instead of coming to Soldier Field? And Arlington Heights, for someone who's on the south and west sides, there's a distance. It's quite a, it's a way away, right? You have to go. It's it's really targeting a specific group of people. Soldier Field is one that is in the heart of the city. I mean, I you go to any other place in the world, having a stadium that has just enough parking is near public transportation in the heart of their city. That is an accessible stadium for people, and it, it and it's important to know that. We are the Bears are basically asking us not only to build them a new stadium, but to build a new entertainment venue that will pull possibly pull things and compete against. And mind you, what's special about Soldier Field is that it's a publicly owned entity. We the the, peop, the taxpayer owns the venue that is producing art. We don't have a lot of those in the city of Chicago. 
a publicly owned venue that we have that produces civic entertainment for people. The Bears want to open up a stadium that is really kind of just all theirs. And they want the entire development around it that will also be essentially all theirs. And they want us to spend it that competes against what the city of Chicago needs. I don't know. I feel like that it's not only is it it's bad business if you're a business-minded person. It's bad governance if you're a, you know a sort of good government person. It's bad. It's just bad all around. Um, now, if they want to again, if they want to go spend their money to do so, go and do it. And on top of that, I think that they could have actually gotten some help from people in you know in the in Springfield if they took an approach that wasn't basically like we don't need you at first. And they were just so utterly disrespectful that they didn't make an incentive to be like, let's actually figure this out. It was more like they were disrespectful in the fact that they they are the reason Soldier Field looks like a spaceship. That was all on them. That's all on them. They're the reason we're stuck with debt on Soldier Field. They're the reason for a whole lot of bad decisions. And it's be- and at the same time, they spend forever to espousing an ideological view that is so anti-government that they think that they can then turn around and ask government to give them a form of a handout is, is to me, it's insulting. And so look, I, I, I don't want it to be like, I want to be somewhat realistic in the fact that I'm not here to be like, Oh, the bears need to stay in soldier field. I'm that's not, that's not it. It's the question of if you want to move, you can move, but there, it ain't going to happen like some free ride and it's not going to become your golden parachute so that, the McCaskies could get a new stadium, a new development, then they could sell it, and then they could be rich forever with a new owner. I mean, that's that's the vibe I'm getting. The vibe I get is that they will use the money that we give them to build up Arlington Heights, build up the stadium, and then they'll turn around, they'll sell the team for $2 billion. The McCaskies, who on their own are only rich, be- I mean, this is a weird way to put only rich because of a football team, because they've never been able to develop anything else on their own. They only got through a football team. will finally have an, an extreme amount of wealth that is separate from its football team. And I, I think that's, and it's important. I, I'm making this bold prediction when that happens. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like t- 10, 20 years from now, when we find out that, you know, the Chicago bears are owned by somebody else and the McCaskies are just, you know, m- mega donors to some right wing freak that I'm going to be like, I knew it, knew it off the bat. This is a golden parachute for the McCaskey family. All right. I'm going to really resist the temptation to do a follow-up question and move on uh, because I could talk about this forever. Uh, it's fascinating. Maybe we should do a whole show on this. All right. Let's move on to Clarence Thomas, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and uh, the reports coming out uh, all over the place now. Uh, I think ProPublica first broke it, uh, that is the recipient of uh, all sorts of largesse from a wealthy Republican named Harlan Crow. Uh, according to Thomas, they're dear friends, and Crow would fly him all over the place, which is kind of interesting because Justice Thomas always emphasizes his humble origins and how he's never really deviated from uh, the, the person he was when he grew up poor. And so he likes things like Walmart parking lots and uh, rec- RVs, and, uh, you know, it's just a, a humble man of the people. <laughs> and now he's like, you know, these private jets flying to these islands. I'm like, wait a minute. What about the Walmart parking lot? Uh, 
the decision Democrats face in this. Here is evidence put right in their face, Robert Peters, of just like breaking all bunch of rules and operating the way you're not supposed to operate. So what, in your humble opinion, should the Democrats do about this? Should they just look the other way uh, and let it pass? Uh, or or what? What should they do? Floor is yours. Well, I mean, I'll just say this. This is like, it's just become multitudes with Clarence Thomas. Um, like, literally multitudes. I mean, we, I, you know, I, I said this to someone before, and I think I said this to you, Jeannie Thomas. I think it's Jeannie Thomas. Jenny? Jenny Thomas? The Jenny... January 6th, Thomas, insurrectionist Thomas, because uh, that's what she was and she did, played a leading role in the insurrection stuff that happened on January 6th. And what came out of it? Very little. She wasn't even truly grilled for her role. Neither was Clarence Thomas, who, as you we've seen recently with this news, is very, very close and very involved in his wife's dealings. And she is very involved in his dealings. They are not separate. They do not have a firewall. Why aren't we grilling them first on what happened on January 6th and then now? Now, I know what people are going to say, well, we don't have the house. What if we do this? It's useless. They won't even be impeached. The house won't take it up. And I say, who gives up? You know, like who gives? I don't know if I can curse. But it is a who gives a fuck situation. Clarence Thomas is literally a threat to democracy. His wife and them, her, him and his wife have had a deep, deep connection to a far right element that is hell bent on undermining American democracy. So that's A. B. He is corrupt and in the pocket. With some very terrible people. And I feel he's not alone. And I feel that, in fact, because you start grilling Justice Thomas, you will find out that whatever he's doing has is far deeper than it lets on. That it's not just Clarence Thomas who might be taking private trips or having the fanciest dinners in the world. And there are other people who play very important roles in the federal bench that are also engaged in this activity. So it's not just about necessarily an impeachment. It's about a sense of an accountability that if you do this, you have to answer for it. And what comes out of it and whatever comes out in the house, you don't hype it up as like, we're going to finally take them down. You, you make it clear that this is about him having to answer questions in the public arena. Because look, Republicans would do it on the most frivolous things that exist. We bring it up, Hillary Clinton's emails. They During an election, they made Hillary have to testify over her emails. And that was a frivolous investigation. It was all games. It was all politics. This is two things. This is good policy, and it's good politics. It's both, right? It is good policy because you're saying someone who engages in this dangerous behavior needs to be held accountable. And we need to make that clear. And it's good politics because you're going to do this not at 12 o'clock. You do it at 7 p.m. prime time so the public can see what is happening. The biggest the issue I had with the uh, 
sort of January 6 hearings is that the first night was during prime time and everybody watched it. And then the rest of them were during the day and they were like covered on the sea. I mean, like if, if it, I don't know what, what world you live in, but if I remember correctly, when they went after Bill Clinton, they did it during prime time. I believe when Clarence Thomas was uh, first being, um, uh, when he had to be, uh, oh my God, uh, during his, uh, um, his hearing, Nita Hill, um, that was prime time. No, having a night. These things, I don't know what world we've entered into to a point where it's become a daytime soap. These are very serious things that the public need to be able to watch. So it's good policy and good politics. And, you know, I think it, I think it's high time that Democrats stop being so lax with the Republicans on the bench, not just in Clarence Thomas, but the rest of the federal judiciary. Like we should not be giving deals to people and allowing these people who are anti-abortion, anti-democracy, anti-black, anti-trans, you know, trans, having this much power uh, in a relatively anti-democratic institution that is our judiciary. Well, the uh, concern, uh, if I can play devil's advocate with you, and let me see if I can get the concern out without laughing, uh, but the concern is that the Democrats will look like they're picking on Republicans. Uh, right now, the Democrats have, well, a Democratic uh, prosecutor uh, in New York City, Alvin Braggs, shout out, Alvin Braggs, uh, has, uh, is leading in a, uh, a, the indictment, led the indictment of uh, Trump, until so Trump will have to do, stand trial uh, for his role in uh, paying off uh, the porn star uh, for to keep her quiet about their affair. There's uh, investigations into Trump's uh, alleged malfeasance in Georgia, uh, where they have the tape of Trump actually calling the Secretary of State of Georgia, telling him to throw away votes. Just imagine the outcry from MAGA if it was, say, Michael Madigan on the phone. Uh, with some st- official here uh, in Chicago. And then there are two investigations uh, uh, regarding Trump, uh, one having to do with his role on January 6th and the other having to do with his keeping uh, government records in the basement of Mar-a-Lago. So Republicans sob at every time. They uh, play the refs like nobody else in politics. Uh, they're, they're worse than LeBron James uh, in this front, I would say, at crying at every... Uh, <laughs> Foul. Uh, and so um, the timid souls in the Democratic Party, uh, like I would say the Rahm Emanuel, David Axelrod wing of the Republican Party, would caution Democrats to stay away from this in the name of uh, bipartisanship. Back away from this. Uh, don't um, turn Donald Trump uh, into any more of a martyr than he already is. And so just let Clarence Thomas get away with it because that'll just get people so upset because they think you're picking on Republicans. Your response to this response? I mean, I will, I mean, I do have, I will say I have concerns about whether they can fully do what they want to do in New York. Um, so I do, I, that, that is, I'm separate from Clarence Thomas on this one. The reason I bring that up is because I feel like the messaging is that they're going to finally get him for, um, Trump where with Clarence Thomas, it doesn't need to be about finally getting him. It's just about actually having them answer questions. Um, because when you're a Supreme Court justice, you don't have to answer questions. There's very few levers in terms of accountability. So I think there's, there's, there's two different outcomes that we're asking for in these situations. And 
I think with Clarence Thomas, it's really about the fact that when was the last time we've seen someone who's in a position where there's very few levels levers of accountability having to be held account for their actions like this? And I think that I don't my for me it's never been a thing. I've never seen a, a Supreme Court justice have to answer towards their around corruption. And you know, I think that they may try to cry and complain, but I think if the simple question is that this is if this is simply sold as us, we may not be able to get Clarence Thomas off the bench. But what we can do is make Clarence Thomas have to answer questions. I think that the general public will understand that and get that. And I think Republicans will look ridiculous. In fact, I would say no matter what, anytime Donald Trump does anything, it hurts the Republican Party. It does not make them better. I remember when the redistricting happening 10 years ago or so, when they said, oh, Republicans will be in power forever because of gerrymandering. And then Donald Trump was so bad and atrocious that he's essentially brought Democrats back into power in relatively Republican gerrymandered areas to the point where Donald Trump was so bad that the Wisconsin Supreme Court may finally undo a decade, decade plus of atrocious Republican gerrymandering and atrocious Republican leadership to a point where we might be back to the days of Wisconsin, the beautiful swing state that it is. Wow. Uh, by the way, I, I think uh, to your point in my lifetime, and this is, um, I always say, I'm going to add this. Don't quote me on this, ladies and gentlemen. I believe the last Supreme Court justice who really uh, was investigated for his wheelings and dealings was a gentleman named Abe Fortas. This was long before Robert Peters was born, so there's no reason in the world he would ever heard of Abe Fortas. But uh, I have the ears on young Robert, and so uh, you can all look it up. Abe Fortas, uh, a close ally of Lyndon Baines Johnson. Um, listen, I'm with you. I do believe they should have uh, hearings. I disagree with you uh, about New York. I think there's a strong case in New York. Uh, I think the the reason why Trump is talking so much trash, well, because he just loves to promote himself, uh, but uh, he's doing everything he can, much like Rod Blagojevich tried to do when he uh, was facing um, uh, his indictment here. It in is Illinois 34 to, counts, uh, which is a lot of counts. Yeah. So um, go get him, Alvin Braggs, is what I say. Uh, and um, But yeah, no, your point is very well taken. You said something to me that made me laugh before we went on the air. Uh, and you said, I wrote it down, what would Republicans do? Uh, which I, I don't know if anybody should go through life uh, <laughs> asking that question and then following <laughs> <laughs> but it was a, a, a very interesting question uh, in terms of politics because I believe uh, that Republicans have been very successful uh, at staying in power, even though most of the things they believe in are opposed by the great majority of folks in this country. So they know something about playing the game of politics. I don't like the way they play the game of politics. I think they're despicable. I think they're hypocritical. I think they're liars. Uh, but they do know something about the game of politics. So when you ask that question, well, what would Republicans do? I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? They'd be talking about Clarence Thomas. If Clarence Thomas were a Democrat, they'd be talking about him nonstop. You get what I mean, I, 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 yeah. I say this all the time. Uh, look, the way... It's amazing when we talk about let's just let's do two big stories, nationals, two, three big national stories, because we have the Tennessee three. But the two of those three 
is the Chicago mayor's race and the and Clarence Thomas's stuff. The amount of times Chicago has to answer for being a crime-ridden city and Indianapolis right over there in the border has the same murder rate and nobody gives a damn is an example of like there's more accountability on a whole host of BS around public safety stuff and crime and how that's done than there is on someone like Clarence Thomas committing this dangerous behavior. Like we are often letting ourselves be framed and this narrative to develop. And then we have to respond to it. We should actually then start being more aggressive in how we frame the narrative. Now, if people don't want to pick that up, that's fine. But you know what will get people to pick up your narrative is making the man come to you and grilling him in a hearing. You get to dominate the narrative then, right off the bat. Constant press, just a, just full court, uh, and make the man answer some questions. You get to change the narrative. But right now, the narrative is going to be, they won't do anything. I mean, that's literally what's going to be. First, it's going to be, oh, I can't believe he did it. Then there's going to be maybe, 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 you know, something will happen. And then it will be Democrats just won't do it. They don't, you know, and then you'll have some people who will excuse it. Well, there's no point in doing it. I mean, the House isn't going to take it up. Yeah. Why do we do it? <laughs> Which seems that's the least thing you can sell people on. Don't even do it because it's like not going to go anywhere. It's not good. <laughs> and then the other one is going to be people who are more of my line. We're just like, you gotta do something. This is everybody sucks. And there might be just a middle ground, which is you do something and you know the house isn't gonna take it up. It's actually a yes and situation, not an either or. And so it's it's a fact like you can dominate the narrative, you can take it up. It doesn't necessarily mean that it succeeds in the house. It doesn't have to because you framed it the right way. And someone like Clarence Thomas will freak out or his people will freak out. And we get to we get to move on and have these conversations. And it means that. So the next person, the next time, he'll be like, I don't want to, this is, mm, I don't want to touch this. I don't want a private jet to New Zealand right now. I'm going to lay low. I'm going to go to a Nebraska football game because that's what Clarence Thomas loves, Nebraska football. You know, he, he can go to a Nebraska football game. He can just quietly enjoy it. Actually, what's funny, now I remember this. The time I saw Clarence Thomas at a Nebraska football game, they interviewed him from a box suite. And I wonder whose box suite that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I did not, uh, I was not aware of his love for Nebraska football. Somehow that eluded me. I know he's a cowboy fan. Uh, and there's a, a picture, there's a picture of him once he was invited to the, on the sidelines of a cowboy practice, I think, uh, which is, I, what, did, ta- what did you say about Clarence Thomas? This, this man's such a disappointment. There's nothing more disappointing. <laughs> like he, the, the most nineties <laughs> sellout thing that you could be is a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan and a Cowboys <laughs> fan. Wait, I, I mean, that is the most 90 sellout thing. That, <laughs> there's never been a more yeah. middle of the United States, you know, like bland. I mean, I went to school. This is very personal to me. I went to school in Kansas. I went to Kansas State University. So I already do not like Nebraska from being a grad. <laughs> but also, you would meet people, and they're now, I'm sure, all Chiefs fans. 
But you would meet people who live near the Chiefs who would be like, I love the Cowboys. And you'd be like, why? You are next to the Chiefs. And you're always he is, you know what, he's already, he's disappointing as a Supreme Court justice, and he's disappointing as a sports fan, because he likes Nebraska and the Cowboys. How obnoxious is Clarence Thomas? We need to have a hearing right now. We need to ask him, <laughs> we need to ask him why does he like the triple option, and is he obsessed with Troy Aikman? We need to ask these questions. Uh, that is, that's pretty good. That's what the hearing should be. <laughs> and then we should have a general hearing. What's lamer? Being uh, if you know if you don't live in Dallas, uh, being a Dallas Cowboy fan, or this particular a pet peeve of mine, I was at the Bulls Lakers game uh, about a week ago, and ten percent of the audience is wearing Laker paraphernalia, and I'm like, guys, you 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 live in Chicago, you're aware of that, right? Why are you wearing a Lakers? I like the Lakers, they're winner. I think that's the lamest thing. Any Chicagoan who is a Lakers fan, you are lame. You're just lame. Lame, lame. I'm avoiding this divisive topic. What I will say is <laughs> the NBA has <laughs> developed its – so the NFL cannot market its players. Yeah. The NBA <laughs> is its players. And I'm going to say this to you. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Don't go there. Just hear me out. You're mad about a thing that the Chicago Bulls created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to explain because there was this basketball player. Okay, he wore the number 23. Yeah, yeah and he he won a lot with the Bulls, and he would go to different okay. towns. And do you think that people who showed up to watch the Hornets suck uh, were there <laughs> to watch the Hornets? I mean, and the Hornets had some fun players in the 90s. Not going to take yeah. away from them. Or were they there to watch Michael Jordan play? Or, you know, remember when the Nets were kind of trying, but they weren't there in New Jersey, and he had to go out to the you know do an arena in New Jersey, and this during time when the Devils were really good at hockey, and you were a Nets fan. Were you there to watch Nets, or were you there to watch Michael Jordan? You Ben are just mad at a thing that the Chicago Bulls created. <laughs> okay. We we really are far astray from where politics. I will have a response to this. I would have been there, to use your analogy, in, in New Jersey, let's say, to, to watch Michael Jordan. I went to the Chicago Stadium. This is years before you were born. Sat in the nosebleed sections, paid uh, top price back then to go see Dr. J. 76ers, complete and total sellout of the Chicago Stadium, which had been vacant for all the games before that. Everybody went to see the Sixers, Moses Malone, Mo Cheeks, Dr. J. But I, I was there with them, yes, to prove your point. I was there. But I was not rooting for the 76ers. I was rooting for Sidney Green and Dave Corsi. I wasn't going, I wasn't abandoning ship. I was a Bulls fan. Why would I root for the Sixers? Because they're winners. I know. I don't, get, I don't get that. We're going all. down this path, but I got I to respond real quick. Let me respond. There is, as I put it, there is <laughs> pre-Jordan and there's post-Jordan. Now, there will be a debate. People go magic and bird, and I get that. 
But in terms of just one superstar, magnetic, marketing, nobody's like, oh, a Larry Bird commercial. Nobody's like, oh, <laughs> they are like, yeah. Michael, you know, I want to be like Mike. Yeah. That was a game changer because, yeah, people <laughs> rooted for their team. But more and more, the idea of like, I'm going to show up to my team's game, but I'm going to wear Jordans. I'm going to wear the other team star players' shoes, even though I'm a Sonics fan. That's that's a little kernel that someone sees and they water it named David Stern, and they're like, this is great. We're going <laughs> to... this." That kernel is when that leads to the Bulls mo- going to play a game in Paris. Okay, that that's that that kernel is it leads to the modern a- NBA. So you know I, I get it, but I'm just gonna say the moment someone says I'm gonna wear the opposing team star players merchandise to go support my team who's playing that star players team is the lead. That's like the you know, there's a meme online of the domino effect where the guy knocks down one domino and knocks down big dominoes, right? Like, this is like a, a meme that exists. That little domino of the, someone wearing a pair of Jordans is now someone who's like 17 years old wearing a Lakers jersey to a Bulls game. And I don't know if we, we're going to be able to... We're gonna, we, I don't think we can put that genie... We can't put that back in the bottle. It's out. It's out now. All right, fair enough. I always let my guests get the last word, so I, I, I'm just going to let that one uh, sit there. Uh, we'll just have this debate some other time. Uh, we're really out of time here, and uh, we haven't even gotten to the Tennessee three. I may have to bring you back to have a full discussion. Republicans kicked out three. Oh, no, two. They, 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 <laughs> they, there were three uh, reps uh, who violated, uh, in quotes, the uh, decorum to use Nick Spazzato's words, of the Tennessee uh, legislature, and they kicked two of them out, uh, two black men. Kicked them out. Robert Peters just lets, I mean, we have to discuss, kicked them out as if the people now of those districts don't have representatives. I I I mean, I I mean, I'll just say this, and I'll keep it brief. We're in Illinois, so we're we're a unique place. We have super majorities in the House. We have super majorities in the Senate. We have a Democratic governor. Uh, you know, we just prevented a Republican mayor in the city of Chicago. We're able to prevent all that. And, um, but that means we're kind of in a bubble. Like we see these things happen in other places, but I think Tennessee is just yet another example of the right-wing authoritarianism that's popping off. And I think we really need to confront what this type of right-wing authoritarianism is. And how dangerous it is, and how uh, it's it's massively reactionary to a whole host of things. I mean, it's important to remember, like the people who got kicked out, um, uh, the uh, Pearson and Jones, um, they were expelled. Do not present the aesthetic of respectability politics either. They're very clear. I mean, I think they work on a whole host of issues around housing and environmental justice. They are very clear um, on the root causes of crime. It's important to remember that. I think a lot of people who did not believe in Brandon Johnson uh, most likely have outrage over in Tennessee need to realize that there might be shared politics between the reps in Tennessee and the mayor of the, the new mayor of the city of Chicago. Um, and they're very clear about them. They spoke out. And in return to that, they experienced a, a, a repression. And one that they're not just kicked off the floor. They were expelled out of those seats 
which is a massive authoritarian behavior. Absolutely. And by the way, I just want to throw it out. It's out to MAGA. Uh, we'll close it down where we began. You always sob when you're paid accountable for anything you do. And so I remember the sobbing from MAGA uh, when when uh, one of Republicans' favorite uh, Democrats, Michael Joseph Madigan, uh, had Darren Bailey uh, removed from uh, the General Assembly because he wouldn't wear a mask. Hey, MAGA! Madigan didn't kick him out of... <laughs> <laughs> and he kick him out of the House of Representatives. I mean, the man still got to represent his people. He just had him removed for blatantly breaking like the rules that were protecting people's health. And remember that, Robert? Remember that? I remember Republicans. Oh, this is tire. This is tyranny. This is horror <laughs> tyranny. Wow, man! Uh, piece of works, aren't they? Dar- Darren Bailey's just he, he he saw that on Wikipedia somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Very good. Uh, Robert Peters, thank you so much. Uh, the conversation that always does with you went all over the place. Uh, and it's just, just a blast talking to you. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, right? Definitely. Thank you. All right. That's State Senator Robert Peters. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.